Thanks for tuning in to the Shifting Schools podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. This Monday, we're doing something a little bit different. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time know that both Jeff and I have been so proud to be affiliated with the organization, the nonprofit Learning Two. They have an up coming event for educators who are located in Asia. That is their November conference. This is the first in-person event they have had since the start of the pandemic. And I was really excited to get to interview one of the presenters who will be leading a great extended session at that event. So this Monday, we're actually giving you an episode of The Learning To podcast. We will be speaking to co-authors of a book that is now available that's going to help educators everywhere affirm the linguistic, cultural, and experiential assets that multilinguals bring into the classroom. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I have to say, having been provided the opportunity to get a sneak peek of this book, it inspired me so much. It's one of the best professional learning books I have read this year. And listeners, you know I read so many professional learning books. So I hope that you understand that's really saying a lot. So this week, we hope you enjoy this special episode of the Learning 2 podcast. It's a podcast that has an episode about once a month. So if you enjoy this conversation, you might want to subscribe to that show as well. Enjoy. Welcome to the Learning To podcast, the podcast about the Learning To global events, a conference for teachers by teachers. On this podcast, you will enjoy stories about Learning To, as well as core reflections on the many learnings that have resulted from our events. Hi, and welcome back to the Learning To podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and her. On this very special episode, we have not one, but two special guests. They are the co-authors of the soon-to-be-released new book entitled Long-Term Success for Experienced Multilinguals, Ten Hoon and Beth Skelton. Their book is a practical, easy-to-implement, cross-curricular instructional framework that includes strategies, implementation prompts, templates, and essential actions that create the conditions for experienced multilinguals to process content and clearly communicate discipline-specific ideas. Now, if you have been following the Learning2 social media accounts, you know that the lineup for Learning2 Asia has been announced and Tan is one of the extended session facilitators. So we thought it would be great to speak more about his work, his research, the book so that you get a little bit of a preview of that extended session to come. Let me tell you a touch more about our guests. Ten Hoon is a career international school teacher, consultant, and author specializing in secondary multilinguals and teacher collaboration. You are going to be able to head on over to the show notes to learn all about him. Beth Skelton is an independent consultant focused on creating equitable educational experiences for multilingual learners. We are also going to have links for you to learn more about her in the show notes. And 
if you are as interested in this book as you should be, in the show notes, you are also going to find a special discount code to take some money off the cost of the book. Welcome to the show, Tan and Beth. I am so excited to be talking about this book, and I'm also, I, I'm always fascinated by co-authorship. Um, I think, you know, Tan, I know you're a huge advocate for co-planning, co-teaching, so it's interesting to see that kind of uh, move its way through this new adventure that you're having as well. In the introduction of your book, you highlight the important decision to move from a deficit mindset towards a mindset that really highlights values assets. Part of that is by using, quote, experienced multilinguals, end quote, as the way to address learners. Can you talk more about that specific shift and how you know it is a critical move to have made? Before I go into that, Trisha, I just want to say thank you for having both Beth and I on the podcast. We are so honored. And I know this is going out to uh, conference participants, both in Europe and Asia and all over. So we want to say hello and thank you for tuning into a podcast about multilingual students when you could have easily chosen a different one. The fact that you're here listening is you're the teachers that should be right in front of those students because we need teachers like you. So uh, Trisha, thank you. So yes, we, I think that, I think the whole world and not just our field of working with multilingual learners is shifting towards more asset space. In particular, when we talk about BIPOC people, so it's, uh, black indigenous people of color. So we're moving towards um, like, what can they do instead of what they can't do? And so we have just taken that and joined that march for equity to change the narrative around multilinguals. In particular, we're talking about students who have learned in an English medium school or a school where they use English as the main language of instruction for at least five years. And these students are not your newcomers. They've been there for a while. And there's something that causes them to not really progress out of receiving the services. They're just stuck. We used to call that fossilization, right? And so we were tacking with this idea of like, this is so negative in one particular term, uh, long-term English learners is a term where we we're, we're stuck on like that. Well, one, they're only here to learn English really, or, and two long-term. Well, think about people who have done, uh, like think about the, 10,000 hour rule concept by Daniel Pink, where he said, let's look at all the people who have invested and poured hours and days and months and years into their work in the profession. So we can name like uh, Tiger Woods or Serena Williams and they, uh, Serena Venus Williams who have done, who have learned their sport and crafted their sport from a little age, from, from just young little people. And then we applaud them for, for, giving all that time. Yet when we look at multilinguals, we say, what's wrong with you? Why are you taking so long to learn? Why aren't you there yet? And we say, wait, hold up. Mm. Why are we looking at them as if there's something that's missing with them? And this is the, this is the domino, this is what happens. When we look at students that way, when we describe students that way, they're so close to saying, let's refer them to learning support. Oh, you know what, they need extra English. Let's pull them out of that gym class, which they love. Let's pull them out of art class as if, as if art isn't important. Let's pull them out of design class as if they don't need design thinking. Let's give them more English classes. And then what happens with that kind of narrative, that, that internal narrative there? Who do they think they are? And most importantly, what do the people around them 
How do they see them? Oh, you don't belong here. You're in that other English class. Oh, why are you here in design class? Oh, I'm sorry, you, you missed that opportunity to be in design. And so we've shifted to a more assets-based mindset and calling students experience multilinguals because they have so many experiences, both culturally, linguistically, life experiences that can be used as tools for them to learn. That's the answer. You know, that's, it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And of course, taps onto the significance of language, right? And you're right, like how we are being addressed again and again and again and again has such an influence. And you also have me thinking, it's coming back to that core question of like, what is the purpose of school? Is it to humanize learners? Is it to help them see their capacity, grow their network, enjoy learning? I mean, you know, I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but to really actually experience learning as joyful. Um, and I think your framing gets at all of that. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, the book, it's a collaborative effort. I really, I, I appreciate it even just kind of reading your introductions, your dedications. As co-authors, you have this long list of review readers, right? So it's sort of you collaborating together in partnership, other folks also doing that, that art of review reading, lots of people who are also recommending the book. Your readers are in a sense collaborators as well. Um, and again, you've got this, this list of experts who you refer to as gardeners. I love that, who you thank. Can you say more about your collaborative process and why this book is better for having two authors and two perspectives? Well, I think we'll both address this since it's a question about co-authorship, but um, Tan and I both bring um, both a perspective from the United States where we have both taught and a perspective of international schools where we have both taught. But I'm based in the US and a lot of my work um, as a consultant in schools currently is in US-based schools, so state schools, and a lot of Tan's work is international. And so as we were writing to have this perspective coming from both of those worlds um, and really challenging the current mindset around multilingual learners, as Tan was describing, that came from both of our lenses. Um, and, and so you'll see throughout the book woven in um, our, our perspectives of students in the United States who may have even been born in the United States, were classified as a language learner in kindergarten, and now are in seventh, eighth, ninth grade and still classified as language learners. And how are we addressing that in the US and what are laws and requirements around that? And then Tan taking an international perspective and adding twists onto that. And sometimes the, the stories are from a U.S.-based perspective where schools may not have as much money, they, the teachers aren't paid as well, um, they're, they're working on shoestrings to really meet the needs of the students, and then uh, an international perspective where um, teachers have all kinds of resources at their hands, 
and still we're working with the same students. So it's, it's they're, they're all kids regardless, but it's just different contexts that we're addressing. And I think having those two lenses constantly involved in the book was really, really valuable. And then of course, sending it out to um, over 10 reviewers in the field who got back to us right away with really wonderful questions, suggestions, additions, uh, wonders, um, that that was hugely powerful as well. So that that's my perspective. And I know that Tan has another perspective because that's what collaboration is all about. Actually, in, instead of talking about my perspective, Beth, would you talk about, like, I, I want everything we, we share to be practical. And so one of our chapters is chapter seven, and we talk about how do we, we shared an instructional framework. And in, in that instructional framework in chapter seven, we say, let's bring this school-wide so that we avoid the teacher lottery, where that one kid is lucky because mm -hmm. that one kid has that teacher. Why don't we say the whole school is a teacher, is a school lottery, meaning not a school lottery, the whole school, the student who enters that school feels lucky that they have whoever they have. And so in chapter seven, we actually suggest that one way to help experienced multilinguals is to help content teachers teach the language of that instruction. So one way we do that is through actually several ways. One, there's uh, collaboration, co-teaching, co-planning assessments, co-planning lessons. But another way is student observation and analyzing work. I wanna, that's why I brought Beth in because she has such an amazing depth of experience of working with schools, um, ch changing their perspective of what they think about multilinguals. And so that's why I wanted to bring her on and which is her expertise. Well, and you know, I think it's really interesting to hear you say that because I think one of the things that can be difficult when you work in education is even to acknowledge, I don't have to do it all on my own. I think sometimes the way in which things are framed for educators is like, you have to be superhuman. You have to do it all, all the time. Uh, totally unrealistic expectation, right? And so I'm, I'm really interested even in that notion of you recognizing, I don't have to have all of the perspective. I don't have to get all of the context. I don't have to have all the expertise. I might want to open up and invite somebody else to come in. Um, and, you know, that kind of reminds me of what you will be doing at Learning to next November, right? Um, you know, as someone who leads and participates in professional development, I always am very curious to see like, what is happening to really take advantage of the expertise in the room collectively, collaboratively? So I'm wondering, would either of you say anything about what it really meant to recognize one another's expertise or to experience that? Because I do not think that in education, we get enough of that, of other folks really truly appreciating, valuing, recognizing our expertise. So I don't know if you want to just even if there's a moment where you felt that or a moment that you knew, I want to make sure I'm doing this for my co-author. Um, can I just say there wasn't a moment when I didn't feel that. Mm. So anything that was um, put out in Tan would make it better. And our writing process, I don't know how it is. We would one of us would take a chunk of the text and and do a draft, send it to the other, and then it would be reworked and um, different uh, strategies would be added in or 
maybe let's reframe it this way so that what one of us started, it wasn't like, let's write together on the Google Doc. Tom, Tom is in Cambodia and I'm based in Colorado and um, the time shift is about 14 hours. So that was not going to happen. But using Google Docs to send back and forth and then I would see what he was reading in my words. And I was like, oh, that is so much better now, right? Or he would give an example, a, a practical, this is what happened to me in the class yesterday or vice versa. He would write something and I'd say, I have an example of that. So I think it was just nonstop. That's how I felt about it, Tom, but I'll let you talk. <laughs> and it's funny, we, we designated certain chapters, like you do this chapter, I do that chapter. And at the end, it we we merged as a as a singular voice, and like there was times where we where I wrote an entire chapter, and she was like, "Okay, boo boo, let's do this all over again," and like it, it like hurt. I need to be like, I'm gonna close my laptop for a minute. I'm gonna take my dog for a walk. I'm I'm gonna cry in the corner for a minute, and then I open my laptop and like, all right, let's do this again because I trust Beth, mm -hmm. and I trust her, and I value her expertise. And this is what we, what happens in co teaching. It's another eye that I don't see. And so Beth gave me that perspective, and that's what we want teachers to do too. When you come, when you pull together, like let's say science teacher, and then the language specialist, English language specialist, the English language specialist sees the way instruction is shared and shaped and designed in a way that is that might that the uh, science teacher doesn't see. And so that combination is what students need. One thing in particular that Beth has really helped me see. It's funny, we call the we call the book, we titled the book Long-Term English Learners. And so we're creating the conditions for their success. And one of the things that Beth really highlighted that we are going to emphasize more in, in the second edition is thinking about the learning strategies, right? And this is what we, our students are, let's say that there are fifth or sixth graders or seventh, eighth graders, and they're not just, why are they not excelling academically? It's because they've been dependent upon us to give them strategies to scaffold. And so we, uh, Beth has added a few things where she said, let's, let's make sure that we, in this chapter, we explicitly teach learning strategies, metacognitive awareness. We share a strategy and we say, we just, we just taught you the strategy. Make sure you use the strategy such as sketchnoting to make content more comprehensible. You add images, you label the words that the teachers are talking about, right? You can do this in your, we did this in social studies class. Make sure you do this in all your other classes so that you are more successful that you can understand in the future. And we need, I didn't really focus on that. And then, so in the second edition, we are really heavily focusing on that heavily in our presentations that we're co-creating together. We're focusing on that and all, all, every single chapter we're highlighting, this is a strategy. This is a learning strategy that students can use for themselves to make them independent and not dependent upon us. Well, and I, I think, you know, in part, the book has also been set up to really have a layered approach to support. Like something I really appreciated is this is not just addressed at teachers, but, you know, you're really speaking to school leaders who also need to be aware of this because those leaders need to be thinking about how they can support the teachers in doing this, um, you know, in, as you say, creating the conditions for experienced multilinguals to thrive. Can you say more about why this whole community approach to learning is key or why that was, uh, you know, to me, that feels like an essential message at the core of the book. Tell me, am I right or am I wrong? Um, 
Well, you nailed a very important piece of the collaboration. So when we were um, invited to um, work with Corwin, which is such an honor, um, Dan Alpert, one of the main editors, he's the one that just said, this is more than just for teachers. I, we really want you to address how this can be school-wide so that there is a wider impact than one teacher classroom. As Tan said, we don't want a teacher lottery. And because of Dan's question and seed and encouragement, we took the framework that we developed for individual classroom teachers and then put it school-wide. And that was another huge piece of collaboration where Tan shaped that that chapter seven, which is all about how do you do this school-wide? And he said, we're gonna follow exactly the framework. And all these, there's so many things that you can do at a school level to support experienced multilinguals. But Tom's like, let's focus on the framework that it's the same. So that again, reshaped, talk about rewriting a chapter, right, Tom? <laughs> yeah, that one, that one has written and rewritten because it, we continue to focus just on what's in the framework. So if the framework is um, basically based on understanding by design, starting with an assessment, how does that go school-wide, right? So what, what does that mean for making sure that teachers school-wide? If we're focusing on knowing the student first, before you do any strategy, we have to know who these kids are. What is their background? And as we've been saying, they have been in our schools for five or more years. They have tons of experience in multicultural environments, in multiple environments. We have to know what those experiences are. So that's like the first part of that school-wide approach is that all teachers know who our multilingual learners are. I should be able to walk into the science class, the math class, and the art class and um, ask a teacher like, who are the students and what are the levels and what are, you know, what are you doing that everybody knows? It's not just like, oh, those are those kids or those are the EAL teachers or the ELD or the whatever alphabet soup we're using at the time. Those are the students taught by that one specialist so that the knowledge, the support goes school-wide. And to do that, we um, recommend looking at student work collaboratively with the um, language specialist in the school and the content teacher in their content work. So let's look at student work, look at the language in that work. How can we as a team move the student forward? And the student knows that you're doing that because they have co-created with the specialist their own academic English um, plans. So they have been part of that co-creation. And now they know that every teacher they work with is supporting them with achieving their goals. And if that goal is to go on into um, a technical school, or if the goal is to go on to a university, or the goal is to go on and um, work in my dad's company, that you have the language skills and the life skills and the learning strategies you need in order to be successful long-term, thus the term long-term success, that you have that skill, that strategy, that support you need for long-term success in life, even beyond the school, and that it is a school-wide approach. So that's a brief on that power of the school-wide approach. Well, and I, I kind of think there's I mean, obviously there are the advantages for the learners, even just feeling that level of community care, but it dawns on me that the, this is also an exercise in true deep collaboration for a school, right? Um, and I think sometimes we say the word collaborate and then it's, what do we actually mean by that? Is it we're just sitting around a table, like we're physically in the same space? Does that count versus, um, you know, having a framework building some awareness and understanding, having very specific goals. And then those conversations, as you mentioned, you know, really 
being willing to listen to someone else's expertise come in and shine a different light onto that context. Um, and that's why I'm excited there are some opportunities coming up this summer for folks to take the book, activate it, and have further conversations. Because I think while the book is amazing, I th I think you know any great educational resource like this, the real power and impact then is what you're doing with it in teams. And when I say team, I even mean just two people. Um, so I don't know if you want to speak a little bit to what's coming up this summer where folks can take the book and have a networked approach in a different way, um, again, to be sharing ideas and reflecting on the framework that uh, that comes out of the book. In June, we are we've partnered with English Learner Portal to run an asynchronous course for teachers. Each chapter will have series of videos um, for teachers to go through and then they can learn on their own time and in it'll help them uh, guide them through the concepts and the application of the framework. Um, that's with English Online Portal and it's a paid program. For those who can't afford that, and it's only 275, or the school district can't, can't support that, you can easily get the free version, which is on a Twitter chat that we'll put out this July as well. And so you'll come online, you'll read the chapter in a week, and then we'll all be online together, uh, tweeting, live chatting, um, so there's no Zoom, so you can multitask at the same time, and we'll one of us will be there posting a question, and people will be responding to it. Um, and then the if you want to just to purchase the book by itself, Corwin has been so gracious enough to if you go to Corwin itself and type in the word save, as in saving a, a person's life, uh, twenty or saving money, save twenty. This will uh, produce. This will give you twenty percent off. If I know for certain U.S., I'm not sure for Canada, but I'm sure for certain for U.S. 20% discount. If you're driving right now or you're out for a run and you miss that, don't worry. It will be over there in the show notes when you get back home um, or arrive to a destination where you can look at your phone more carefully. Uh, the, the, those promo codes will will be there as will, again, the, the link to the book itself, which is out May 15th and to those events. Now, I know, of course... Tan, you'll you know be taking folks through kind of a deep dive of of some of the frameworks, some of the ideas at Learning Two. Um, I, of course, am a fan of of the Learning Two conference. I've loved getting to connect with people who are really passionate about making change in school. And for you as the facilitator, um, you know, of course, the book, the framework. I could see you having almost like a month long workshop on it, right? But um, really, kind of thinking about what you want to do, what the best use of time is. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about just the extended session at Learning 2 and where you feel um, perhaps the, the focus will be or, again, thoughts that you have just in terms of it's a great event that has people coming in from all many different schools across Asia, different school sizes, as you both were saying earlier, you know, different schools have their own different sort of staffing supports in place. Uh, so what, what do you want to tell us about some of the decisions that you've made in kind of rough drafting for that coming session this November? Well, the session in November will be focused on taking the principle of assets-based approach to working with MLs, multilingual students, and saying, okay, how do we put that into practice? And we put that into practice by focusing on their multilingual uh, multilingualism. So we, the, the title of the session is, how can every content class be a multilingual class, multilingual experience. And so we're going to show teachers, those who are in particular monolingual, 
we love that you're there and you're monolingual because you can be advocates, the most um, enthousi enthusiastic advocates for our multilingual learners um, by doing these things um, that I'm going to share in the in the webinar, such as, oh, sorry, in the session, such as presenting things in students' languages or having students turn and talk in students' languages, having students research in students' languages, having students produce first in their languages, and then producing finally in English, of course, um, because that's the, that's the goal. But I'm gonna be showing really clear examples of how we can lean on students' multilingualism and how students can make that happen, even at the assessment level, uh, where teachers can tap on students' assets, multiple languages as an asset to learn. I, again, I'm really looking forward to that because I also think when you set up your classroom that way, what you're also inviting is for students to constantly be sharing their culture, their interests. Um, you know, I find even just how students and myself as teacher, it's like my repertoire of musicians that I've listened to expands, like it's such an expansive transformational experience. So um, thank you, Beth. I don't know if you also want to talk about, of course, there are these opportunities and then there might be schools who are saying, you know what, we need something bespoke for our community. We need you both to sort of do something that, you know, every every school is also unique and sometimes they have very, very targeted um, needs that they would like to see addressed. So for someone who is listening and they're saying, I want to take on those opportunities and I also might want to do something even deeper. What's the best way to reach out to both of you to coordinate um, something for a specific school? We both have websites with our names. So mine's bethskelton.com and that can be in the show notes and Tan's is his name as well for his website. And we do that work with individual schools, uh, school districts. Um, we both present at conferences. Um, so we have a lot of ways of connecting with educators, both online and face-to-face. -face. That's great. Again, the book is out May 15th, which is so soon long-term success for experienced multilinguals. Just as sort of a closing note, I'm wondering if either of you wants to comment on the, the book jacket, the design, because it's beautiful. Um, you know, I, I, I really admire it. So I wonder if you want to describe it or just talk a little bit about how, what we've been discussing today, maybe links to that beautiful design. Oh, thank you. We, we had many, many meetings on that design. And we finally, for those who, are, who can't see it, it's a picture of, in the forefront, it's a picture of a little tree. And in the, just growing like a, like, a, like a sapling. And in the background, there's, it, there's a shadow and it hits a wall. And, it, and you can see the shadow of a big oak tree, a really big, expansive, full, lush tree with all its branches, its big trunk, its um, a, umbrella of canopy of leaves. We're saying this is when you look at students who are learning another language and they're developing their language, don't see where they are. See where they're going to be with your support. See what they already can bring and magnify it. It's kind of like saying every force started with a seed. And the student that's going to graduate is right in front of you right now. And so we wanted to show teachers that this is the visual interpret manifestation of assets-based uh, approach to instruction. You see what students can do, not just who they are right in front of you.
That is such a strong note for us to end this conversation on. I'm so grateful to have had this conversation. Uh, Beth, we will miss you at learning too, but I'm also really excited to see the conversations to be coming out of your extended session this November. So, uh, you know, I think my advice would be get your school to order lots of copies of the book, read it in advance, um, and then come learn directly with one of the authors at Learning To this coming November. Uh, links that we've discussed are all over there in the show notes. Thank you both. And I will be watching on the calendar for May 15th to wish your book a very happy book birthday. It's an honor to be here, Trisha. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having both of us on. I appreciate it. 